Here we are now, with another episode of the Andrew Lake Podcast. If you are a regular listener of the Andrew Lake Podcast, please share your favourite episode, as this will help me find my audience. It will help to find the people who are ready to hear what we are talking about here. And today... I'd like to talk about paradoxes. (laughs) Oh my goodness, can you believe it? I cannot believe that we are talking about this. (laughs) After all we've been through and all that has happened, my goodness, has it really come back to this? (laughs) Oh, Ah, I think I have a... I think I have a bit of a tear in my eye. (laughs) There's no doubt that paradoxes has been, as as a conceptual entity or an idea, a mental idea, paradoxes have been a very foundational part of my coming into understanding of life. Or we could say, or should I say, (laughs) coming into a more misunderstanding of life. (laughs) Oh, it's, it's, see, I giggle because we're having so much fun with it. And it is a lot of fun. I hope you'll see that. It's also foundational. It's also important. And, well, to give a bit of a history, it hasn't always been fun has at times been quite difficult, quite confusing, quite hard, quite daunting. And paradoxes are, well, they're one of the skewers in that journey, which has been a journey from frustration to giggles. And we'll soon enough revert back to... (laughs) revert revert back to frustration. (laughs) So... Let me let you in on the joke that everything has an opposite. And that's why I laugh. That's why I laugh. That's why I'm laughing at myself. And that's why it's so important to, well, understand paradoxes. Now, to get more into the meat of it, we've got, I've got a master list of about I've got over 200 paradoxes here today that we can talk about. And the idea is that you listen along and you get a sense of what two opposites are and how they resolve and how they're related. And then you can go off and with all those examples, identify the pattern. Identify the... What should we say? We should say the the key to paradoxes or the patterns of paradoxes. Now, I also have what I'm calling 4D paradoxes, and we'll talk about those at the end. That'll just be a little, another trick that we can do to help play with the idea of paradoxes. But the bulk of what I want to do today is show a list of examples that we can discuss, which are paradoxes. And the idea is to train yourself to realize that everything has an opposite. 
This is a mode of thinking. This is a mode of experiencing what it's like to be you, particularly in your mind. So this is a mind episode, much less so than a emotional or a experiential or a transcendence kind of episode. So we're talking about psychology. And if you can wrap your head around this, you can use it, you can harness it to open yourself up to new things. And you can play with it. You can have fun with it. It's actually so much fun. When, it, when, it, when you crack the code, it's really fun. It's a game. It becomes a game. And <laughs> you'll, you'll find yourself giggling at <laughs> maybe inappropriate moments, <laughs> which, I've, which I've been in trouble for in the past. <laughs> and oh it just becomes a it just becomes a great tragedy of course when you understand paradoxes man one just one big tragedy and of course what i mean by tragedy is comedy <laughs> so this is also i mean even more broadly speaking and maybe perhaps more fundamentally, the thing that you want to get is a sense of wholeness, a sense of resolving those conflicts within you. You want to have those things that come up and appear as contradictions begin to be points of fun or points of insight or points of learning. And this inner conflict that we have of these things that work against each of themselves is a very important part of, well, what it means to come out of our suffering, what it means to come out of our confusion. And there are depths to it. It's a never-ending path, really the path of paradoxes, the path of becoming whole, the path of becoming one, the path of becoming harmonious within yourself, well, that's a lifelong path. It's a never-ending journey that we're all on. We all have different degrees, different strengths, different stories to tell about the problems we've had, the things we've overcome, the things we haven't overcome, the things we are hoping to overcome and are optimistic about, the things that we're doom and gloom about, and all these things. So take this as... Take this as a, a, a key thing in your toolkit for inner explorations. And this thing is, well, paradoxes. And <laughs> me and paradoxes, we go way back. <laughs> Maybe someday I'll share my personal stories and we'll see. And, and you'll know, well, just why it makes me laugh so much to hear these things. So then, let's crack into it. Now, some of these examples, notice your reaction to this. Notice your reaction to them. Because some of them won't sit well with you. Some of them you'll say, ah, that's not the opposite of that. I can think of a better opposite. And that will tell you something. And that's good if that happens. Some of these have multiple dimensions to them. They have different contexts implied in them. But the main thing is, notice your reaction. Notice what you're getting from this. Notice what's coming up for you. Notice what is being triggered, as we could say. So here we go for 
200, more than 200 paradoxes explained and resolved. Well, I don't know if I'll, res- I'll resolve them all for you. Maybe we'll discuss them. and we, Maybe some of them we won't discuss. We'll just see what happens. I don't really actually know what's happening right now, in case you didn't know. <laughs> and I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> oh. oh, I'm just so silly today. My goodness, why am I so silly? Maybe it's because we're talking about such a heavy, complex and serious subject, such as paradoxes. <laughs> I tend to get a bit silly when we get heavy. And heavy when we get silly. Have you noticed that? Well, that can be our first that can be our first example. Paradoxes. Serious and silly. <laughs> can you see how that's a paradox? Can you see how they go together? Paradox. Night and day. You can't have night without the day. And you realize that if you go out into out of space far enough, the Earth going around the sun will look like this tiny little dot traveling in circles. And that's how you resolve the paradox of night and day. You actually have to go into, into out of space far enough so that, well, you can just see both night and day happening within your eye. And if you go to an observatory tower, you can see certain planets and stars behaving in that way. You can say, well, what's that planet there? And how long is a day for that planet? And what sort of temperatures does it have because of its different locations? And what sort of seasons do it have? And you can study astronomy. And when you study astronomy, well, you get a sense of the existential, which is beyond just the night and day the small night and day that we have down here on little planet Earth. Paradox, black and white. In color theory, we don't actually call black and white colors. We call them shades or shadows. So technically, they're not actually a color per se because they don't appear in the rainbow. And isn't it funny that we have black and white as opposites? What's the opposite of red? What's the opposite of blue? What's the opposite of emerald green? What's the opposite of yellow? Now, you can actually get a bit technical about this and say, well, Doster, we have color theory where you've got your primaries and you've got your secondaries. And to find the opposite, what you got, what you can do is Go to your color spectrum and choose one which is on the other side of the circle. And that would be your opposite. And then it gets a bit tricky, well, because you've got three primaries and then nine tertiaries. And you've got hot and cool and you've got your fluorescence and your glosses and your mats and your finishes and so on. So can you really say, well, that is the exact opposite? And if you can, if you can wrap your head around that, well, that's, that's understanding paradoxes. That's really a perfect example of a paradox because, yes, there is an opposite, but also it's not an exact opposite. And the thing that is within that non-exactness is what implies the larger context, which is the thing we need to transcend into in order to resolve the paradox. Paradox, hot and cold. 
hot and cold. It's all relative, really, isn't it? How's the weather where you are? Would you say it's hot or would you say it's cold? Paradox, left hand and right hand. Can you imagine if humans only had one hand? And that was the stock standard. Like if you get born with two, two hands, you think, oh, freaky. Weirdo, you've got two hands. My goodness, what happened to you? What sort of genetic deformity trade you fall out of? Everyone's just got one hand. Well, if that was the case, well, we wouldn't have this left and right conceptualized in the way that we do. Paradox, inside and outside. Now, this is a good example of changing context. Because when you go from your shoebox to your bedroom, to your house, to your neighborhood, to your city, to your country, well, you're changing from inside something to outside something. And each time you do, well, you have to transcend, in a sense, that paradox of in and out. And in some regards, well, inside and outside, in the ABC sort of meaning of the words, as in inside the house or outside the house, well, that's always there. That's always an opposite, which you've always got, you know, whether you're in a building or not, or whether you're expanding your context by going from your neighborhood to your city, to your state, to your country, to your planet. So that's a funny one, inside and outside. And then, of course, there's also the implied well not implied the uh, it's the the metaphorical sense of inside and outside which is inside you as in your inner being and outside and that comes to our next paradox which is personal and impersonal can you get a sense of the personal and the impersonal can you get a sense where That boundary lies. Have you ever approached that boundary? And the way to approach it is, well, to say, well, what applies to everyone? And the answer is that everything applies to everyone. And only everything applies to you. And that is a paradox. That is why the impersonal and the personal is a paradox. Because if you really look at it, from one end, well, everyone's got what you've got. Everyone's got fundamentally the same situation as you. And yet from the other end, there is absolutely nothing like anyone else than you. You are completely unique. You are completely your own situation. Next paradox, implicit and explicit. You can imply knowledge. You can imply information. And you can be explicit about information. And it's really a matter of language when we, t- when we imply, when we talk about Im- implying and being being implicit and being explicit, well, if we keep that just within the 
language sphere, then we say that the information that is being given from one person to another via communication is doing that in different ways. It's doing that with different methods to cause different effects. So I might try to imply something, for example, to give you the idea that you came up with it for yourself. Or I might try to imply something so that I don't have to say it, but you get the information anyway, and so that it's not explicit because there are certain taboo things that we don't want to talk about. And then there is explicit. Well, some things are explicit for an effect. That's a different effect. So it's a matter of how information goes between two people via communication. Now, we can actually change this paradox into a completely different context outside of language. And we can say, well, let, let's say, for example, you've got perception. So perception has Im an implicit nature to it and an explicit nature to it. For example, are you really hearing the sound of my voice right now? Are you really listening to the words I'm saying? Are you really paying attention? And if I grab you by your perceptions, then I can make it explicit. Whereas normally, it's the, the relationship between you and me and your perceptions is, well, it's implicit. I don't sit here all day and say, hey, pay attention. Hey, keep listening. Hey, don't, don't distract yourself. I've got something to say here. Make sure you're listening along. Most of the time, I just assume that you are listening along, which is something implied. And that's, that's a relationship of your perception. That's an, ex that's an experience of your perception. And of course, I'm manipulating it with language. So don't confuse it with the language example. And there are times when we <laughs> also don't also don't <laughs> also don't say Dosta, but you're always talking about perception. And there are many times when we've when you've tried to take over my perceptions for the, for the for the reasons of explaining and pointing them out to me. Now, well, that's that's different again as well. But well, that's I think that's enough for implicit and explicit. <laughs> you've got implicit language and explicit language, and you've got implicit perception and explicit expl explicit <laughs> perception paradox understanding and confusion can you see the difference between understanding and confusion really if you understand something you just means it's familiar to you, or you feel comfortable with it. And confusion is, well, you feel uncomfortable about it. And it's unfamiliar to you. And the way to resolve that paradox is to say, you know what? I feel comfortable feeling uncomfortable. I'm okay with hearing things that I haven't heard before. I'm okay with new bits of information that I haven't 
heard before. And that, well, that's something that you have to work out for yourself. I mean, I can say it here, but to really go into what is confusion, what is understanding, well, you have to figure that out for yourself. And to resolve the paradox is to understand both of the extremes. So you have to go into your confusion. Really contemplate it. When are the times you're confused? What is it like when you're confused? What are the sorts of things you think when you're confused? And really be explicit about it. (laughs) And then do the same with understanding. What's something you understand really well? What's something that is very familiar to you? What's something that you feel comfortable with? And really go into that. And work on both of those. And you'll find that as you work on both of those, there'll be this third thing coming up, which is the resolution to that paradox, understanding and confusion. Next paradox, east and west. Now, this one comes up in culture and literature and religion. And there's always been this thing. Well, there always will be this thing because it's a part of certain epochs in history, which is East and West. And many speakers or gurus or teachers or historians or whatnot, academics, have always reverted to speaking about East and West as a dichotomy because it has a way of summing up broad, deep cultural issues that are sort of all collected together. And, well, that's really the only way you can speak. It's one of of the most effective ways of speaking generally and broadly. And a lot of... I mean, everyone has to speak broadly at certain times. So that's where East and West comes up. And... Well, actually, if you look at East and West on the planet in a geographical sense, well, you can resolve that paradox in the same way as you resolve night and day, which is by going into outer space. And that, as a metaphor, is how you resolve the paradox of East and West culturally. So you need to go somewhere that is not those two places. It is far from it. And that's east and west. Next paradox, round and flat. Now this one's a bit funny because you could say, well, it's 3D or flat. Or we could say round and square. Or we could say crooked and straight. Or curvy and straight. Curved and straight. And these are all sort of like the paradox of the color spectrum because you're getting into shapes and maths and geometry and, well, how can you actually see? Like, is a corner an opposite to an edge? Is a flat an opposite to a point? Where do you draw the line? How do you see it? What do you think of it? Round and flat, 3D and flat, curved and straight. 
And if you can entertain this, then, well, now you're not only entertaining the color spectrum, but you're also entertaining the geometric spectrum. And they're two very different things. And yet somehow they're both related. They have the same structure there. And of course you want to be able to use these metaphorically. Next paradox, north and south. Next paradox, up and down. Why is it that north is up and south is down, generally speaking? I know there are cultures that don't conceptualize space in that way, geography in that way, but why is it that things have turned out that way? Next paradox, deep and shallow. Long and short. Near and far. Location and direction. What's the opposite of location? That's a pretty abstract idea, isn't it? Have you ever thought about location in the abstract? Location and direction. Can you have direction without location? Can you have direction without location? Can you have location without direct direction? Direction without location. And it's sort of funny that where you are is implied by only the th fact that you have a direction. And if you can think of think of someone who's traveling, you say, Do, does that person have a location? Are they in a location? If you're traveling, are you in a location? Let's say you're taking the train across the country. Do you have a location? Well, you have a direction. You're going in a direction. You could say that, well, the train is your location. And it still, it still implies something static, something stable, something there. Where is he? Oh, he's on the train. But where's the train going across the country? <laughs> but you see how that's the perfect example of how paradox has to function. It has to be there. It is there. And yet there's always a resolution to it. Okay, how about this one? Next paradox. Concepts and symbols. When you have a concept, it's usually quite abstract. It's usually quite complex. And yet when you have a symbol, it's quite simple. It's quite easy. It's instantly recognizable. And you can't have concepts without symbols, as a matter of fact.
And this is something, well, we explained a lot of this in the Ken Wilber series that I did, which was a commentary on grace and grit. And there in one of the episodes, I think it was chapter 11. Yes, it was. It was chapter 11. We talked about the development of human consciousness through all the stages and concepts and symbols were in there at two different stages. So that's sort of that's sort of like the thing of the geometry and the color shapes coming up, the shapes and the colors and geometry and color spectrum coming up of, well, is it an opposite or is it not? Or is it just two parts within a broader context? But concepts and symbols, well, they go hand in hand. Because the concept, well, it's made up of rules. It's made up of a bunch of examples that you can make. It's populated by complexities. It's populated by seeing it in multiple contexts. It's built up over time. It involves, it requires a certain cognitive ability. And yet symbols imply the concept. The symbol is like the representation of a concept. Think of the the sign on the side of the road or the side of the footpath that says dogs on leads. So you've got a picture of someone walking a dog. And there might be another a picture next to it, which is someone or the dog off the lead and a line through it or something like that. Or something even more simple than that, like the no smoking sign. You have the picture of the cigarette and the big red line through it. So no as a concept is quite complicated and yet learnt very early on in life. And smoking as a concept well, there's certain amount of things, certain amount of things you have to know, in order to understand that that's a, the symbol of a cigarette. And if it's a clear symbol, well, it will really sum up the essence of what a cigarette is. Well, they smoke and they have a certain shape to them. And if it's a clear symbol, then you can get it. But the only reason you can get it is because you have the concepts behind it as well. Next paradox, concepts and symbols. That's what we just did. (laughs) Next paradox from concepts and symbols, principles and details. So principles are like rules in the sense that I mean it here. What What is the principle that can be applied to many things? And details are the specifics. This is similar to content versus structure. And that can be maybe a parallel paradox that goes along with principles and details. It's easy to get mixed up in the two. It's easy to be walking around with rules in your head and try to apply them to multiple situations and get frustrated when they don't. And in fact, this is one of the keys to understanding rules. It's like that old saying, rules are there to be broken, or rules are there to be bent. Well, I, I, say, <laughs> I say rules are there to be broken. My, my high school science teacher would have said rules are there to be bent. 
but maybe that's one of the differences between me and my high school science teacher. So principles and details. You know what it means to be lost in the details? Have you heard that phrase before? You can't see the forest because of all the trees. Getting caught up by the things in front of your nose. Well, that's what we're talking about here with principles and details, which is a paradox. Because you need to be able to understand things broadly and also specifically. And if you're aware of that, well, you can, you can be walking around and you can say, okay, is this... In, a, in any situation, you can say, what is the principle at work here? What's the fundamental thing here that applies to everything? And then you can also ask, what is completely unique about this? What is the one thing that only this thing has to it? And to have resolved the paradox of principles and details means to be asking both those things and coming up with answers for both those things in that individual situation. And all it takes is a bit of practice and to be aware of it. Because those things are there. The paradox is there. All paradoxes, they're all there. They're not going anywhere. They're always going to be there. They always have been. They always will be. Simply a matter of how you realize them. Okay, next paradox. Good and evil. Can you see that good and evil is a paradox? And I don't mean that it's relative. Saying that it's all relative is not the same as resolving a paradox. I've long abandoned this phrase, oh, it's all relative, because it tends to <laughs> it tends to have a bit it depends not to really help that much. And I prefer to say that, well, you need to resolve the paradox of good and evil. And how about moral and the immoral? Can you see the difference of the paradox of good and evil and the paradox of morality and immorality? There are some nuances there that tell you the origins of morality and where morality lies. Okay, what about this one? Collective and the individual. This is similar to inside and outside, like we spoke before about the subjective or the personal and the impersonal. But this is different again. The collective and the individual. Now, when is it that you can say that a collection of people are collected Now, probably the most obvious example would be, well, when they're collected together in a crowd. 
collective is, well, people who are all in the same place. Now, that's a physical, gross meaning of the word collective. And we also have, well, we have the abstract and the mental and the noosphere version of the word collective, which means that we're not in the same place, but we have something that's the same about us, like the same label or the same interests that are acknowledged or the same this, that, and the other are. And that's the collective. And yet, well, collectives are made of individuals. And there's no way around that. And we're speaking of obviously just of just of humans and the human condition here. I mean, we could apply this to objects. We could apply this to animals or ideas or words or all sorts of things. Like is a is a book a collection of words? And does a word that is collected into a book lose its uniqueness? Does it lose its function? And somehow, well, actually the book does change the function of the word. But this is a... <laughs> I can sort of see a another epistemological... <laughs> Another epistemological rabbit hole opening up beside me, which I might go tumbling it down. So let's just move on in our list of paradoxes. Open and closed. Open-minded and closed-minded. Open for business, closed for business. Open book, closed book. The map and the territory. What is the opposite of a map? Can you imagine? Can you look at a map and see what is its opposite and come to realize that the thing that is the opposite of the map is the actual thing that it is a map of? And that's a very far-reaching Paradox, that's a very deep paradox. And you can broaden your definition of the word map. Like there's the ABC definition of the word map, which is you've got your contour lines, your latitude and longitude, and your different trails and roads and things. But then you've got maps in the sense of, oh, it's a a moment of a, a device for navigation whether that be political or social or philosophical or theological and then whoa okay so how do you take a how do you take a a theological map or a philosophical map or a device of navigating the philosophical sphere the the ph- philosphere is that a word philosphere theosphere philosphere That should be a word, the philosophical sphere. I think I just invented a word. Oh, how about that? The the philosophical sphere and then see the opposite of that in order to 
understand that the map is not the territory. You've heard that phrase before, I am assuming. The map is not the territory. Well, actually, there's a paradox there which needs to be understood because you can't do away with maps and you can't do away with the territory. But you can, if you understand that a paradox has an extreme opposite to it, infer what that statement is trying to imply. The map is not the territory. We need paradoxical thinking in order to get that. So the map and the territory. Next paradox I've written down is representation of reality and reality itself, which is similar to the abstract of the idea of the map and the territory. Next few paradoxes, music and noise, sound and silence, order and chaos, vibration and stillness. Can you see how they're sort of related? Noise, chaos, sound, vibration. They sort of all go together. And then music, silence, order, stillness. They go together on the other side. Music and noise. What's the opposite of music? What's the opposite of harmony, disharmony? What's the opposite of sound? Well, silence. What's the opposite of ambience? Is it silence? Or is it music? Order and chaos. Well, order and chaos, when we talk about music and sound and these sorts of things, that, well, it's, it easily slips into the harmonic, harmony and disharmony or Cordant and discordant. But order and chaos, well, that's got a broader implication to it as well. You can say, is the world in order or in chaos? Does the world have a directionality to it to move towards order? (laughs) That's a good one. That's a tricky one, isn't it? The world has a directionality towards complexity. But does that complexity mean it goes towards order? (laughs) That can be probably one of our 4D paradoxes. Chaos and order, complexity and simplicity. (laughs) But I think I'm, I'm getting ahead. That's too far ahead. Okay, how about this one? Directionality and wandering. This is intentional travel. Versus aimless travel. So this says something about the thing that is you when you are in a mode of non-stationariness. <laughs> when you're mobile, when you're traveling, you can be intentional or unintentional. And that can be a sort of side paradox as well. Intentionality versus unintentionality comes up in directionality versus wandering. Are you, are you on a straight path? Like, I'm starting here, 
I, I know where I'm starting and I'm going there. I know where I'm going to end and I know how I'm going to get there and it's just going to happen. Boom, A to B. Or are you sort of floating around and thinking, oh, I wonder what I'll do. Oh, I wonder what's over here. I'll just travel over there and someone stops and asks, do you know where you are? You look lost. You say, oh, no, don't really know where I am. I don't really know where I'm going either. Oh, some people don't like that. Some people do like that. And can you see, well, now what does that mean to resolve that within myself as a paradox experientially? Because you can see there's, there's sort of two personality types, isn't there? There's the person that's, oh, you know, I'm here to work. I know what I want from life and I'm going to wake up every day. I'm going to work until I get it. It's the driven type, sort of the cliche driven type. There is a difference between the cliche driven type and the authentically driven type. Maybe that's another rabbit hole that we can go down sometime. But the person that's driven, the ABC sort of person that's driven, that's one personality type. And then the, on the other side, you've got, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. Oh, maybe I'll do this. You've got the fluffy person, the one that's wandering, the maybe the, oh, maybe, oh, I'm not sure. Oh, I'll just go over here. Oh, dreamy, this sort of person. Now, both of those are within you. Both of those are extremes. Both of those form a paradox. So what would be the equivalent of resolving that paradox in the same way as zooming out to planet Earth so far that when night and day is happening, it just looks like a little dot that's going in circles. directionality and wondering. Next paradox. Towards and away. That's similar to directionality and location. Next paradox. The finite and the infinite. Can you see something that's infinite? right in front of you right now can you see something that's finite that's in front of you right now i'll tell you one of the things i can see right now that is both infinite and finite where i'm sitting in my chair in my room there's a towel and the towel is hanging up and it's hanging in such a way that, well, I know at a certain detail, at a certain level of detail, it'll never be hanging in that exact position again because there are certain creases, there are crinkles, there are certain folds. And on a very detailed level, well, it's completely finite in how it's sitting right now. And then again, to say, well, there is always going to be, there's, there's always another position that I could put that towel in. 
there's always another random crinkle that is going to happen each time I hang it up in that certain position that it's in now. And there's no limit to how many times I can hang it up. It won't be forever. And yet, it's infinite. So that's an example of the finite and the infinite. And well, infinity is, that's that's often used now as a, sort of used in new age circles as a substitute for God. We can get into theology via the words infinite and finite. So that's a big one. Complexity and simplicity. We talked about that a few moments ago. Insanity and sanity. Who decides what is sane and what is insane? Can you decide for yourself whether you are sane and insane? Or is it too close to you? Do you need someone outside of you? Where does self-deception come in this? How can you trust your own judgment of whether you're sane or insane? And this is, well, it in many ways has a clear, uh, another bearing or another similarity between clarity, personal clarity and confusion, or understanding and confusion. But there's a different flavor, there's something different there in this paradox of insanity and sanity. Next paradox, clean and dirty. And the next few paradoxes are rich and poor, scarcity and abundance, high status and low status, or high class and low class, healthy and unhealthy, fit and unfit, fat and skinny, strong and weak, strong and frail, flexible and stiff or rigid, Solid and liquid. What's the opposite of a solid? Is it a liquid or is it a gas? What's the opposite of a gas? And why is it that we're finding paradoxes within just the physiosphere? What if a concept or a mental idea is the opposite of a solid? <laughs> Well, I don't know. That's one that we can leave. We'll leave that for the jury to decide. And there's so many in these. There's the fit and the unfit, the strong and the weak. What's the opposite of strong? Is it weak? Strong and frail. And these are to do with the body, essentially. And these things within you. Can you see that you have both weakness in you and strength in you. You can easily see this if you just ask yourself both at the same time, when have I been very strong and when have I been very weak? Think of the time when you were the most weak physically. You might have had a virus or you might have been sick with something or you might have hurt yourself. 
And then think, well, when was the time when you were most strong? Might have been when you were working a lot or when you had a very strong, very dedicated gym routine. And you might say, well, Dostin, now, now I've been the most strong I've ever been. Now is my time. (laughs) And that's very good. Or you could say, well, I used to be a lot stronger than I am. And for many reasons. Strength and weakness comes and goes. It's part of the ebbs and flows of life. There are many factors to it, both within your control and out of your control. Or control and non-control is another paradox. But you can see that by assessing those two things together, and you have something experiential happening within you that is paradoxical. Normally when we're weak, we say we are weak. and We're totally convinced. And we think, oh, if only we could have been back at that other time when I was strong. And when we're strong, well, <laughs> we just say we're strong. We don't forget how weak we were. Well, we can forget how weak we were. And transcending those is resolving the paradox of strength and weakness. Comforting and rebelling. Truth and lies. Real and fake. Meaning and meaninglessness. Nature and technology. Actually, before I go on to nature, let's just say a few things about truth and lies, real and fake, meaning and meaninglessness. Can you see how when you find something meaningless or something, there's a sense like the meaningless and the, the, hey, you're lying or that's not true or that's not right. There's, a, there's an essence there. And the essence is that something is the way that it shouldn't be. There's another way that it should be, which it isn't, which is a contradiction. You're trying to condi- contradict a situation. And it's not, not exactly right to say you are trying to. It's sort of a, a more natural occurrence that's coming up. It just sort of, it's a happening within you or an urge within you. And the opposite of that, well, is the, the, or the thing that you contradict that essence with is the real truth, meaning. And truth is one of those things that can easily put as sort of the the cornerstone or the crown jewel of values because it works in so many contexts. And by saying, well, truth is everything, or I'm on a quest for truth, or the most important thing is truth, well, that's a way of creating a foundation for identifying paradoxes because it's so fundamental you see if you walk around, if you're really walking around 
and you're saying truth is the most important thing, what happens is, well, you start to see all the contradictions and you see how much not truth there is, how many lies there are, how much fake stuff there is, how much meaningless stuff there is. And that's a contradiction. That's one side of the paradox. And if you go into that deep enough, well, what happens is, well, then it bounces back. And then you do find what's true. You do find what's meaningful. You do find what's real. And that's why truth is so often, and it's a good one. It, it really is a, it's an age-old sort of foundational trick. And we're looking at it here through the lens of the paradox or the concept of the paradox. But truth is a very, it's a very vast concept, very deep concept. And it's not, a, it's not even exactly a concept. It's just how we're talking about it here. But isn't it funny how things look differently depending on which way we arrive at them? It's a funny old world we live in, isn't it? So next couple, we've got nature and technology or nature and industry, natural and the contrived, natural and the fake, natural and the synthetic. And the, the biosphere versus the physiosphere is essentially this whole thing of nature versus man, or man versus industry, or mother nature versus industry. And in the sense of it being a paradox, <clears throat> pardon me, you need to be able to resolve these. You need to be able to see both sides of it. You need to see that there's something beyond the biosphere and the physiosphere. And that is the place where you can see and hold both at once. And you can go into it. Like, what's, what's the natural thing to do? You can take that as a mantra. What's the natural thing to do in this situation? And that can get you so far, but only so far, because you need to also ask, what's the unnatural thing to do? This is sort of like intuition. You know, all these people that say, use your intuition. Well, what if your intuition is wrong? And that's a paradox. And the way to resolve that is to ask both. You can say, what's the natural thing to do? And then you answer it, and then you say, well, what's the unnatural thing to do? And then you answer it as well, and then you have these two things, and then you can say, well, how do I do both of those things? Next paradox, love and hate, friends and enemies. Feeling and numbness. Mind and heart. Body and soul. Pain and pleasure. Subject and object. Tables and chairs. 
<laughs> well, that's a bit abstract, isn't it? What's the opposite of a table? Have you ever thought about that? I came up with chairs. And what's the opposite of a chair? Standing? You could say a, a man standing or a person standing is the opposite of a chair. <laughs> I don't know. I think that one's a bit abstract. And, and so many of these are, are quite heavy, like friends and enemies, love and hate, feeling and numbness, body and soul, mind and heart, pain and pleasure. These are huge paradoxes. These are really deep. And they go so far. There's so much to them. It's really too much to unpack. It takes a lifetime to unpack. We can also add beauty and ugly. What about knife and fork? Did you ever, as a kid, at the dinner table have like a war? Like you're waiting for your dinner and you've got your knife and fork set up. And maybe there's a sibling nearby. He's like, who would win in a fight? The knife or the fork? And they say, well, the knife would win because then they could cut cut you. And you say, but no, but then the, the fork could then get the knife between it and twist it like this. And you sort of pick it up and you're thinking, now, which one is it? Which one would win? If you had to be in a fight, which one would it be? The fork or the knife? And you maybe give it to your sibling and you start squabbling with them like, uh, uh, oh, yes, who would win? No, but you've got to go like this. No, you broke the rules. No, it goes like this. This is what would happen. And you try and work out, well, who would win in the knife and the fork fight? And that is the paradox of the ages. <laughs> if, you can, if you can resolve that one, you can resolve all paradoxes. And you can see how, in the sense that you're just sitting with a knife and fork, and you're waiting for your dinner, and you're fighting with yourself, trying to work out which one is better, but then your dinner arrives... And then you're using the knife and fork together. And you've resolved the paradox. That's exactly how all paradoxes resolve. That's exactly how you transcend a paradox by including both of its, both of its extremes. What about the plate and the bowl? Have you ever seen one of those things that is between a plate and a bowl? It's sort of like not, not quite as high as a bowl and not quite as low as a plate. It's really weird. In, in a sense, I guess there's this, what do you call interior design? What's, what's the name for something that, what's the name for someone who in, designs household goods or kitchenware? It's not exactly an interior designer. I've forgotten the name. doesn't matter. You know who I mean. But it can be quite classy. And the reason it's classy is because it's a paradox. It's that thing you sort of, you sort of think, oh, it, but it can also be unsettling. And that's the funny thing. Is it classy or is it unsettling? Which is also a paradox. <laughs> but if it's designed well, if it's designed well, you can think when you see this thing, ooh, there's something about that. I don't know. Oh, there's something that feels quite good about eating out of this. There's a classy feeling to eating out of this half bowl, half plate thing. And if it's not designed well, you might think, oh, this, is, this thing is useless. I can't use it for my breakfast. I can't use it for my dinner. I can't resolve the paradox. 
style and dullness. Fashion and... Fashion and what? What's the opposite of fashion? What's the opposite of... Well, if you've got style and dullness. Fashion and... I don't know. Fashion's a hard one. Fashion's pretty abstract. What about trendy and generic? It's similar to fashion and something in style and dullness. Original and cliche. That's another paradox. Useful and pointless. Or useful and useless. And you see how when you look at something through a utilitarian perspective, you immediately judge it as either useful or useless. Sorry, in an industrious perspective. Or a pragmatic perspective. It's either useful or useless. And when something is pointless... It somehow loses its value. And that can say, that can reveal a lot about your perspective and your values. Have you got something in your possession right now which is completely useless? There's absolutely no useless use to it whatsoever. And you might say, well, Dosta, <laughs> I got a whole garage full of that. I've been meaning to throw it out for years. I really need to clean my garage out or something like that. Well, no, because in a sense, you've been keeping it for some reason. There is a use to it. And I can see another rabbit hole opening up. It's the, it's the Carl Jung deep unconscious of people who keep trash in a back room. It's their subconscious mind hoarding trash. <laughs> that's, another, that's another tangent. That's too far off what we're talking about. Conflict and resolution tension and release climax and plateau peaks and troughs hills and valleys awake and asleep holidays and working. Have you ever really felt a big contrast in holidays and working? In some industries, it's more common than others. And in some cultures, it's very much a, a big contrast. You think, oh, when he's working, he's working, working. When he or she is working, they work a lot, constantly, constantly, constantly. It's non-stop and it's work and it's hard work and it's tedious and it's constant and it's work and it's constant and it repeats itself over and over again and it's work and then the holiday comes and then boop. Nothing. Oh, don't, don't call him. He's on holidays. Oh, he's got his phone off. No, oh, he hasn't got internet. Holiday. Ah, no. He's on a beach somewhere. You won't be able to talk to him. He's in a different time zone. 
<laughs> that's I think that's maybe why people go on holidays into different time zones because sorry, I'll be in a different time zone. I won't be able to reply. <laughs> it's not a bad strategy. It's not a bad idea. But that's a big contrast. That's a big paradox. And you can say, well, how do you resolve that paradox? You say, no, I like work. My life is my work. Have you heard people say that? I live to work. And they say, oh, I don't want to go on holidays. What am I going to do? I'll just get bored. I need to do something. So I work. And I could wager that that's not exactly a resolution of the paradox between work and holidays. It's not exactly what's going on there. And there's a lot in that. You can, you can really stem into how you feel about your lifestyle and the direction of the life you're going by really asking yourself, how do you feel about holidays? And putting the answers to that question right next to how do you feel about work? And if it's as simple as, well, I love holidays and I hate work. Well, that, that's something to work with. That's something that's undeveloped. That's an underdeveloped approach or an underdeveloped attitude towards work and holidays. Oh, I'm just doing work just for the hell of it. And I can't wait until my next holiday. If that's your answer, well, that, that's where you begin. That's where you start to assess these things and start to change them around. And the way to do it is by looking at it paradoxically. The way to do it is to understand that it's a paradox. It's a contradiction. Working and holidays are a contradiction. This also sort of reminds me of, you know, there's this trend at the moment of selling the laptop lifestyle and work from work for yourself from home this sort of trend in our culture at the moment and some of those i mean i saw one of these ads there's so many of them all over the internet it's a bit mind numbing really but one of those ads had someone in a pool in a swimming pool with the laptop next to the swimming pool and they sort of had this flash camera movement and they were like Wow, look at my lifestyle. You can come and learn how to live like this. And I thought, that's no that's no lifestyle. Trying to work on the laptop while you're in the pool, that's a terrible lifestyle. I don't want to be using my laptop while I'm in the pool. I want to be in the pool. I want to enjoy the pool. <laughs> and get the pool the hell away from my laptop because I want to concentrate on my work and it's a pretty fancy laptop. I don't want it to get broken, but I don't, I don't want to mix the two. So that says something about me and my attitude towards work and <laughs> holidays. <laughs> but <laughs> don't don't take that too far because you could say I've been on holidays for quite some time now. Anyway, let's let's not make this about me. This is not a Doster shares all episode. Those episodes are coming, believe me. But that's not this episode. <laughs> okay, let's talk about the next few paradoxes. Creative and destructive. Practical and theoretical. Broken and fixed. Fragmented 
and whole. Partial and complete. Synchronized and discordant. Well, we talked about synchronized and cordant and discordant when we talked about the music and the sound. But synchronized and discordant or synchronized and unsynchronized is another way of looking at those paradoxes. And also coordinated and uncoordinated. And we've also got success and failure. Have you got a clear relationship in you between success and failure? Knowing and not knowing. This is similar to understanding and confusion, but not exactly. Knowing and not knowing is something quite different. And do you know that it's possible to... <laughs> I, love, I love how I have to use the words that I'm using to explain the use, the, the meaning of the words that I'm using. <laughs> Everything is a closed loop. Everything is a paradox. I can just see them bouncing in and out of me every moment. But this is just me being silly again. Where was I? Okay, knowing and not knowing. So do you know that it's possible to cultivate knowing and not knowing both at the same time? You know that it's possible to be harmonious with your knowingness and your not knowingness. And it's not exactly the same as ignorance. Ignorance fits into this as something quite different to not knowing. So not knowing is not ignorance. And what's the, what's the opposite of ignorance? Is it knowing? Not exactly. Because it's possible to not be ignorant and yet to not know. We'd need another opposite to ignorance to sort of balance the four sides of that paradox. You have knowing, not knowing, ignorance, and something else. There's, something, there's a gap in there. Full and empty, big and small, entertaining and boring, interesting and boring. Sex and celibacy. Well, sex, what's the opposite of sex? Giving birth? <laughs> sex is a funny one. Sex is a deep one. No puns. No puns allowed. And sex is a, a deep topic. But there is a paradox in it between sex and celibacy. There's probably too much there for us to go into. There's probably too much in too much in sex and not enough in celibacy. <laughs> okay, that's probably enough of enough of that paradox. Moving on. Defeating and surrendering. 
invincible and vincible or vulnerable. Have you known that there's a lot of strength in being vulnerable? Have you heard that saying before? I remember once I was on my travels and I'd just come out of a session, an awareness intensive session, and I was just feeling completely beat up by it. I was just completely, completely shattered by how much I didn't know about myself and how many issues I had and how many problems were still there and all these things. And I was just feeling so weak and vulnerable. And, and I asked my facilitator, the person who was running it afterwards, I said, how... Like, what's the point? I always keep running up against these things and it's just weakness after weakness. And that facilitator said, well, there's great strength in knowing your weaknesses. There's great strength in being vulnerable. And what that facilitator was implying was how to experientially resolve the paradox of being invincible and being vulnerable. And I remember Osho mentioning once in one of his lectures that when you become enlightened, you become the most powerful person in the world and the most vulnerable person in the world. And that would be a far-off, deep extreme of this paradox an example of this paradox being resolved so enlightenment is invincibility and vulnerability right next close next to each other okay in few next few paradoxes freedom and imprisonment or freedom and restraint, freedom and restriction. Repulsive and attractive, cute and disgusting. Well, disgusting, we could say tasty and disgusting. Agreeable and disagreeable. Stress and relaxation. Sports and games. What's the opposite of a sport? Is it games? Sports have so many so many things to them. Like what are sports? Like team sports. What's the opposite of a team sport? An individual recreation activity? I don't know. That's a tricky one. Maybe sports is the opposite to fashion. <laughs> Maybe we found the other side of the fashion paradox. <laughs> it's sports. <laughs> What's the opposite of sports? Fashion. Yeah, I like that. I think that's right because I can't I couldn't really find the answer to fashion and I can't really find like I don't know if games really fits as an opposite to sports. So let's put let's put sports and fashion next to each other. That's a good one. I like that. If anyone ever asks you or next time next time someone asks you what's the opposite of fashion because I know that happens so often to you. It's happened so many times and you've always been searching for such a good answer. Well, now you've got it. Now you know. 
The opposite of fashion is sports. Okay, next paradox. Journey and arrival. This comes back to directionality. Next paradox. Starting and ending. Oh, I could feel something happen when I say starting and ending. You know that old cliche of a saying which is, today is the very first day of the rest of your life? Well, the reason that has a, a bell to it or a ring to it is because of this paradox, the start and the end, beginning and ending or journeying and arriving. And that saying is trying to, well, it's trying to give you a sense of resolving that paradox of starting and ending. Okay, so next, the next paradox is the paradox number 100 on my list. So there's, it's taken me quite a while to get through these, longer than I thought. So what I might do is we'll wrap up this episode and we'll put it into two parts. So if you've listened this far, thank you so much. And we'll go on with another more than 100 paradoxes. And believe me, we're only just getting started. There are some juicy ones in there. And also, we still haven't got to the 4D paradoxes. So the four-dimensional paradoxes, which is a four-sided set of contradictions, we'll explain at the end of part two of this two-part, I guess it's, what do you call a two-part episode? A mini-series? Doesn't matter. This is part one. Next up will be part two. And I'll just leave you with the number 100 paradox, which is hello and goodbye. And that's all I have to say for now. But it's not, it's not all I have to say. I actually have more to say. I do have more to say. So I, I shouldn't say that's all I have more to say. I mean, I should say, what, what should I say? I have more to say, and I'll say it soon. And you can hear what I have more to say in part two. So <laughs> in, true <laughs> in true paradox style, we end on a contradiction. <laughs> I have more to say, which I will say... It <laughs> It is a, but I can't, I can't stop talking if I say that. So I have to say, that's all I have to say for now. But it's such an, let's just make this the opposite, the opposite feeling of, I mean, I have to end up, I mean, I'm, it's been quite a long episode already. So episode, uh, paradox number 100, hello and goodbye. And I have more to say for later.